Hey guys, Rodrigo here. This episode contains spoilers for Everything Everywhere All at Once, a movie currently in theaters. If you've already seen the movie or are not bothered by spoilers, keep on listening. If you're still waiting to watch the movie, bookmark this episode and return to it when you're ready. You've been warned. The Layered Butter Podcast acknowledges the Mississaugas of the credit of the First Nation of the Anishinaabe people on the traditional territory that we are recording on. Welcome back to another episode of Layered Butter, the podcast. Back from the dead, I'm Rodrigo Cockting. I'm Jordan Sluggett. And I'm Raf Cordero. This week on the podcast, we are talking about uh, Miyazaki's shit list, another loss oh, in man. the film world, and the recent leadership changes over at Pixar. It's a good episode. And then in the main feature, I'm very excited. This week, we're doing another deep dive into a movie currently in theaters. Last time we did The Batman. This time, none other than the best sci-fi movie you will see this decade. The incomparable everything, everywhere, all at once. Spoiler alert, I loved it. <laughs> I'm going to hold my thoughts. Before we get, yeah. before we get started, though, before we get to ha- uh, start get- having too much fun, we do have to get those uh, pesky housekeeping items out of the way. Number one, I want to give a special thank you to my co-host who covered for me while I was away for the last several weeks. Um, also, huge thanks to Mr. Andrew Fry, who was in our Oscar special. I fully endorse everything he said. I just want to make that clear. What a smart dude. Great episode. I was very excited to listen to that it. Epic Love the man. two hour length though. Listen, please I'm, please I'm, let us know if you made it through <laughs> the whole episode. And I do which one of us you you agreed the most. With. I hit you with the, the 1.5 X. This but guy. listen, if you're if you're listening to this episode and you're hitting me with a 2x, 1.5x, I do not take offense to that. I'm happy that you're listening in any way, shape, or form that you want to. Uh, sorry, number two for the housekeeping items. We're still not out of, out of that. We have a new Patreon card for all the collectors out there. This one is uh, this one's going to have a podcla- podcast exclusive reveal. So nobody else knows what it is. But here we go, boys. This is what we're doing for <laughs> April. I'm happy to announce the third card is going to be Matt Lyon. He did our beautiful Doom poster uh, a while back, and he's come out with uh, another poster that we've worked with him, uh, Inherent Vice. This poster is an exclusive for uh, an Inherent Vice screening that we're doing in Toronto. And so if that isn't an option for you, lock in your mini prints by becoming a patron today. The lowest tier is just three bucks a month and every dollar helps us grow to create more great, great stuff for you guys. So yeah, check us out. Patreon.com slash Layered Butter. And finally, finally, one last thing. As our social media followers may have seen, we are now shipping uh, the Space Jam posters that we start. We, we we sold a while back. They're finally shipping out. Shout out to the brilliant Davo Montañez who did the art, Juan Saniose who did the separating, and our printer partners, Burlesque of North America. If you placed your order, it should be arriving soon. And if you didn't, we did throw up some uh, some copies up on our store. So check it out. It's probably sold out by the time this episode goes out, but you never know when there's a last minute refund. So, you know, just keep on checking back. You might be able to secure one. I think that's everything. It was a lot. I'm sorry, guys. How are you guys? It's been a while since we've chatted. I'm just adjusting to hearing your voice again. (laughs) (laughs) 
can I say two things? Number one, I was so happy to listen to this Oscar episode because it's like surprise, right? Because I've been in every other one. And so it's like the first one where I get to listen to to my friends. And it starts off with the most vicious roast oh, of my person. <laughs> oh, the aggressive opening towards me. I was like, should I return? But then it's like, you know what? You cannot let them win. I will be back. And so I am back here. And then number two... I just wanted to sh- say that I agreed with almost everything that was said. With I, I, the only thing that was missing in terms of my opinions that I, I, I just wanted to say that it was like so saddening to see Flea not win anything. anything. Yeah. Like I, I know we've said this before, but it's like there's more movies out there than whatever wins the Oscars. So please go check out Flea. I think it is incomparable in many ways. Like I, I know in animation, Jordan. I think at some point you mentioned that it maybe like the animation style is not the most impressive, and maybe that's what should be um, what what should be rewarding. But I think it's like a great story. It's so significant, and I, I think like I, I I maybe am inclined the other way that it's like I would love to see like just not like the the same Pixar really crisp CGI win every year. Like I think um, you know when we're looking at animated movies, maybe we should be seeing like what other techniques are out there. Anyways, I, I, that was very saddening for me. But other than that, I agree with everything else that was said. I, I Yeah, I definitely do agree that it's nice to see the variation. And I I think I said this in the episode, I shouldn't really shit talk the animation of a movie I haven't seen, because as far as I know, there's a lot to it that, you know, wasn't expressed in like the yeah. trailer or whatever. I think um, the, the gay community was pretty offended at your take. And, you know, you can post your uh, notes apology at any time. Jordan frozen right now. <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> uh, guys, let's get started. We're, we're having a little too much fun. We didn't even start the show. It's time for the pre-show. We have a lot going on. Like I said, Miyazaki put out a shit list. No, he didn't really. It, the, the headline sensationalist that uh, was recapping what he said put out, made it, made it seem like he put out a shit list. But he did talk about some Hollywood, some North American movies that uh, he has some issues with. And I think Maybe they were valid takes. I don't know how you guys feel. One of them was The Lord of the Rings. And I mm-hmm. think his big issue with that one was how we interpret war from a Western point of view and how, you know, like heroes versus villains. And then everybody that is on that side is just a villain, regardless of, you know, no, the circumstances in which they found themselves on that side. He also had some some issues with Indiana Jones. You know, I have some issues with Indiana Jones, I think. I, I, we have a, a group chat and I recently posted that I love the movie, but really everything with people of color and that that movie has aged like fucking milk. Like it's, it's the, the, I think in terms of race relations, it is uh, not a great movie. Yeah, I think that's fair. And to, so for the, for the audience that they're aware, this is um far out magazine. Um, I believe it's a UK based magazine. And the uh, article in question was, um, how do you say Miyazaki's first name? Is it? Yeah. Hayao. Hayao Miyazaki named the Hollywood films that he hates the most. And that seems like it was just him saying, like, okay, I want to get this out there. But I don't think that's that's necessarily The context fair. is um, different, right? It's not like he, yeah. he's literally not going out there to be like, yo, I fucking hate these movies. That's not the idea. And it wasn't even so it much him saying, Martin like... Scorsese on Marvel. Yeah, and it wasn't, like, if you... So in the article, it says that it, it's really more about him talking about his anti-American, anti-Western like point of view in general. And then naming some movies where he felt like that point of view was a detriment to the movie itself. Um, like, and he said, uh, that he, like, what did he say? He said, Americans shoot things and they blow up, um, and the like. So as you'd expect, they make movies like that. And I, I also have to take in 
into consideration that I, I don't know for sure if all of this is being translated or if Miyazaki correct um, the context is, right of that translation y- right? yeah and I know that like when you have something where you're directly translating something like a lot of things are lost in the nuance of translating between different languages um, and I think his his major points that he made were were just that like uh, in like the politics of war and when you're watching something like Lord of the Rings and it becomes very easy to make the entire bad force and in that movie it's like you know you might say like well the orcs are evil and it's like we but why in this fantasy world are we just making the enemy forces completely evil and it's not just orcs there's our other you know people of color in those movies are largely the the only people in the middle the earth under, yeah exactly and called. it's men of the east or whatever and there's i like that he throws in a whatever to make it seem like he casually doesn't 100 percent know for sure that those are the <laughs> men of the east yeah so like the the lord of the rings is all centered around the the, the good pure people of the west who are, of course are all white and right. are like descendants of the most pure like there's some really interesting problematic like uh, tolkien bringing in his um growing up in like the twenties sort of point of view and like whether or not he was progressive, which I think you could argue he was very progressive and he had a lot of interesting point of views, but he still was a man of his time in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that came out in, in the text. It kind of um, depends like what yardstick you're using to measure him, right? Like if you compare him to someone like CS Lewis, who was incredibly, incredibly, I mean, here's the, we, like, it, it depends on the context of the time, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I don't know. I, to to the point that he was making though about like if someone is the enemy, it's okay to kill endless numbers of them. The Lord of the Rings is like that. If it's the enemy, there's killing without separation between civilians and soldiers. Do you guys did you guys feel that during the Lord of the Rings? Like it seemed like they were all soldiers. No. Like, yeah, that part really confused me. Like it, I would have understood if you know, at some point, um, the people of Gondor or whatever, like attack the orcs and it was like slaughter the orcs, like slaughter the orc children and the women. But like, we never saw that there was Mm -hmm. never any point of view. And, um, I don't quite understand what he means by the civilians or like, I mean, we, I, I don't have the knowledge of like what orc society was like, were they conscripted? Were they just born in that tree? I don't know. This is a whole thing in, in Tolkien um, mythology, like what are the orcs? In the movies, they say that the orcs like at one point were elves that have been like a twisted race. Um, and I think the actual consensus in uh, Tolkien uh, scholars, <laughs> scholars of Tolkien are is basically that there is no one um, one answer because Tolkien sort of flip-flopped on this. And it was something that he, he struggled with a lot, actually, as a Catholic, having created a race that like he wrote that were like irredeemable and then trying to decide like, well, does that, is that a good point of view? Like, does that even make sense to make like a race of people that are a race of beings that are irredeemably just straight up evil? Um, and I think it's just interesting to explore that because it is, it is something worth, um, worth digging into. And I know a lot of fantasy universes are kind of dealing with that. I believe uh, I read or listened or something recently that, um, uh, oh, what's it called? Dungeons and Dragons have removed. Um, so Dungeons and Dragons, you know, huge classic fantasy universe, and they used to have different um, attributes for the different races. So you could say like orcs are like this, and I think they are separating that now. So they they don't want to. I guess it's like removing the racism. Yeah, like they're they're allowing it just to make it more complex that like any species and race or whatever can. It's not even right to say races because, like, humans I guess it's have like races more right to say race, but it's just like different than what we define 
or I guess species, right, is, is really, but, but even like what we define as race is like kind of difficult to pinpoint because it's more like a social cultural construct than it is reflection, yeah. reflective of anything genetic. A lot of people have pointed that out rightly, that like race is much more of a sociological classification than it really is saying anything about biology. All of humans are one species and the mm-hmm. distinctions are mostly or maybe all cosmetic like population differences. Yeah. Um, I'm f- I'm fascinated how a conversation from Miyazaki went into anthropology. But I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, I think I think a big point that he's trying to make is that we are all part of kind of like this very western wa- western washed right. cultural society, right? That uh, d- doesn't look at like it's very easy like when you watch things like Black Hawk Down or uh, Zero Dark Thirty or whatever to forget that in a lot of these wars that were happening, like it's a simplistic way to say like, yeah, we were the good guys. They were the bad guys. And, and that's it. Like as clean as that. And not because I'm trying to defend anybody. Like, you know, I'm not trying to say that the other side had like good motives, but it's like we committed war crimes when we went there. Like we 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 have done things all along the history. Like the Western world has done some terrible things all across all, yeah. all along the history and it's now even like when we're seeing ukraine and russia there is no one out there with like hands without like you know with with no sins with no blood on their hands mm-hmm. that can just say like yeah you know russia is, it should never do this it's like you know nato did put uh, did a, a no-fly zone over libya that ended up that was killing a bunch of civilians right so it's like war war stories are packaged very neatly for Hollywood, but they are not that in reality. And I think that's a bit of what like Miyazaki's trying to express. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting point of view and something that like every war thing when you when you back up and you really dig into it, like, you know, if we were having this conversation in the forties if we were doing an old timey radio show instead of a podcast and we were talking <laughs> about like Westerns, we might talk about how like Westerns are, you know, it's Cowboys versus, um, I'll say Indians because it's the classic thing, but you know, people like indigenous peoples. And in those stories, they were just represented as like a blind, not blind, you know, I mean, like, um, they're very similar to how, yeah, like the orcs were represented in Lord of the Rings. It was just wild people that you had to be fearful of that didn't want anything good and didn't have a culture and didn't build. And it's probably as complicated that even the ones that like the quote unquote, pure like good wars aren't in any way good or pure like if people want to say oh well the nazis are unequivocally evil and it's like yes nazism is evil but that's not to say that like every single thing done against the germans in world war ii was justified because you know the west firebombed cities like Mm -hmm. the, the firebombing of dresden i think killed more people than like the nuclear bombing of hiroshima and that was just like firebombing a city and it was like a whole lot of civilians getting getting killed. Um, and I think that's just, all of this is good. And maybe Miyazaki's right to to point out the fact that uh, cheering for the, the righteous war in Lord of the Rings does plant a very problematic seed. So even if you're, you know, 13 years old, 12 years old, and you're watching those and you're like, yay, cheers for the good people because they're winning the righteous war in this case. It's, it's in some way just instilling in you that like there is such thing as righteous war and, Maybe to Miyazaki's point, there yeah. isn't. I'm, I'm going to butcher the line, but there's like a part in, in Howl's Moving Castle when uh, Howl and uh, I don't know whose name I'm, I can't remember. They're 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 looking at some planes that are coming, and I guess the question is like, oh, are they on our side or, or the opposite side? And the answer is like, what does it matter? You know, like 
what does it matter? Like who kind of there's death either way, etc. It's it, Miyazaki's a man who's dedicated a lot of a big chunk of his life's work to being incredibly vocally anti-war, right? So I, I think he's being very consistent with what we could have expected from him. Um, kind of from that bit of a bummer to an even more a bigger bummer. Last Tuesday, uh, Gilbert Gottfried passed away. Uh, famous for voicing Iago the Parrot from Aladdin. I mean, I know him from from the Problem Child movies. I don't know what, what your experience may be with him. He's a man with an iconic voice. I think he, you know, he. I've seen some very funny clips with him. I know that he also at times has been fairly controversial, but, uh, you know, still a bit of a bummer. I saw, I saw a picture of him, Bob Saget, and Louis Anderson that he had posted, I guess, like a couple... I want to say a couple of weeks ago, maybe, and kind of saying like, RIP Louis, RIP Bob, you know, I'll miss you guys. And now, unfortunately, all three of the people from that picture have passed away. Um, I don't know, do you guys, uh, any familiarity with Gilbert? General sadness, specific sadness. Going to rewatch that Aladdin movie. Bruh. I mean, I grew up with Aladdin, and Iago's voice is so memorable. And, to fu- and you know, as I got older and realized, yeah, it, this isn't, you know, a voice made for Iago, it's literally Gilbert Gottfried's voice, you know? He's not acting, mm-hmm. he's not changing his pitch or anything like that. And, you yeah. know, that's what he was known for. But I think it's sad because he was such a character, right? And I remember, I think I was watching like Norm MacDonald clips on his show and then Gilbert was on it and Gilbert was great on it. But I don't know, he had such a joy to him, right? And I, I think it's it's sad to see all, and not only for Gilbert, but with um, Norm passing away too. But um, mm. Louis and um, sorry, uh, Bob Saget too. Recently, a lot yeah. of these comics uh, have been unfortunately passing away uh, um, just recently, and it it's, mm. it it makes me start to think. I'm like, oh gosh, who's next? Right, <laughs> which is horrible to say, but like a lot of your. Not yours, but a lot of um, these comedians and these legacy actors that we've gotten to know for X amount of years, even growing up, right? Because Gilbert was out of the spotlight for years, but his voice will never leave. I mean, I always knew Gilbert because of his voice. And now just to know that he's not around anymore is kind of sad, right? So, yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, though. I don't think I know him anywhere outside of um iago i'm trying i'm looking at his oh my wait, wait he wasn't hercules bruh pumba might have been the, oh my god the cartoon he a lot of cartoon um, stuff for sure right i saw he played uh the uncredited as the duck in the 2003 um series of unfortunate events movie i believe it's a duck that says aflac like a boat hits him or something it was a very 2003 reference in that Jim Carrey movie, if, if people remember it. Uh, I will say I remember um, Gilbert, obviously, as uh, Iago and Aladdin, uh, which was probably one of the earliest Disney movies I, I have memories of. Um, and I think I also just remember seeing his stand-up on the, the classic Just for Laughs TV show that we we have here in Canada. Uh, we, if, if, if any listeners weren't Canadian, we um, playing, uh, it would be the Montreal um, Just for Laughs Festival. And I feel like the clips and the segments of people's shows um, on that played just constantly on the Comedy Network. And that was my introduction to like most of the comedians I, I know about or knew about, you know, since, since a, as a child. Um, it's interesting that, you know, uh, we're at that age uh, and I know we're not, not, the three of us aren't the same age, but we're all in the same general age, age range. And we're, we're, we're in the age range where like the 
adult comedians that we've known for the last like 20, 25 years of our, of like of our youth are, you know, dying and not necessarily always dying in terms of like, you know, people have always died, but they're, they're aging into the point where their deaths are still tragic and they're dying from things that hit people in their, in their older age. Um, and it's just, it's an interesting place to be in. Cause yeah. I think a lot of us are probably looking at our, our, you know, most iconic favorite actors who are in their seventies, eighties and, uh, the celebrity deaths aren't going to stop. So, I mean, I, I'm just going to be a, a, a more brightful way to end this segment than, than that. So someone help. But I guess I mean animation. We're talking about Aladdin. We're going to another animated story. Pixar, the big animation studio recently was in the news because they promoted uh, two women. One of them, the director from uh, Turning Red, the recent movie they released, Dami Canadian Shee, and too. the other one being Lindsay Collins, two leadership roles within the company. Uh, I'm not too familiar with, with Collins, uh, but I do know Dami Shi is uh, Canadian, as you mentioned, and uh, she released that uh, amazing, amazing bow short one, a couple of years back, and then from that was given the opportunity to to write, direct, and kind of uh, use a bit of uh, an animated movie called Turning Red that came out this year, based in Toronto. We're all kind of uh, Toronto-adjacent locals here, so of big moment for us um i guess i don't know not much to say for me except that you know i'm happy to see it i think uh oftentimes like say every now and then every year or so we, we encounter uh you know company x who has nothing but white men in charge and then they're like put out some apology and like you know we're gonna work hard to, to fix the situation blah, blah blah and it's like it's better when it is proactive and they are already doing what they can to add representation to higher levels in a company so they're able to add those those perspectives before they need to be called out. It's funny mm-hmm. because w- before reading this article and when I heard that um, what's it called Domi Shi was being promoted which is fantastic immediately I thought of and this is kind of bad too that Andrew Stanton right who is kind of He's a regular in Pixar and Disney, and he's done a ton of films and whatnot. I was like, oh, wow. I, I think that's pretty crazy that um, Dummy Lee, is, uh, Dummy Shi, oh my God, was moving forward. I found out uh, Andrew Stanton is, or, is also moving forward as well, right? And he's being promoted as well. But I think the coolest thing about this is to see. I, I, I think when I first heard the news that uh, Dummy Shi's turning red was being, you know, uh, shafted to Disney Plus, I was like, oh man, they don't believe in it, right? Turns out it was one of the most popular films on Disney Plus, right? That was um, released, um, and um, I feel like there's a lot of uh, backing and a lot of support for her. So I'm very happy to hear that she wasn't just you know put aside, especially with maybe it's a lot of Canadian pride too, having a film like that that showcases Toronto and Canada. Um, and I was just worried that. Pixar is going to just shove it to the side because I love Bao, right? Bao is a fantastic film. Haven't watched Turning mm-hmm. Red yet. I'm sorry, friends, but I'm sure I it's fantastic. I have not watched this yet. Buddy, I don't yeah, know. That's your, your homework for the next podcast I, is I, to catch up and watch Turning Red. I started Severance, um, though, but that's a different story. <laughs> it is It is really nice to see, you know, young women um, get, like, the ability to rise through the ranks quickly, which um, I think as as someone said that that used to be the easy story for, for men, right? Like it doesn't matter how young you were. If you had some sort of hit, it was like, all right, give them the keys to the kingdom and let them just do what they want. 
and um yeah it's nice to to, to see that happening and uh it, even just to speak to that difference of like yeah when you thought that turning red was being dumped onto disney plus um i mean streaming and everything is just very different world and disney as we know owns a good chunk of the entertainment world and they obviously understand where their money's coming from and what they're prioritizing. But I think just seeing like the success of uh, Encanto, which didn't really blow up until it went on to Disney plus and everyone started watching it. And now um, all those songs got huge and then like turning red did very well. It it seems like it did well, at least in, in the zeitgeist and the impact it did. Uh, but gone are the days when you can, you know, directly get the impact of um, the box office. Uh, and now there's just other ways that, clearly these companies have like they know how things are doing and the success is just measured differently yeah i think that's a that's a good point uh i think that's what we're going to call it for this week for the pre-show when we come back raf and i will discuss everything everywhere all at once with resident hater jordan sloggett <laughs> Layered Butter is brought to you by Hola Translation. Hola Translation is a Spanish translation agency that can help you translate anything you need into the world's fourth most spoken language. Whether you're looking for your advertisement to have a bigger impact in the Hispanic community, or you need personal documents translated from Spanish to English, Ola Translation offers quick service at competitive prices. Ola Translation is offering Layered Butter listeners 5% off all their services across the board. Go to olatranslation.org and use the promo code BUTTER, that's B-U-T-T-E-R. Say goodbye to Google Translate and say hola to Ola Translation. back uh it is time to discuss one of uh what is i think probably going to be one of my favorite movies this of man. all time oh this man everything everywhere mm-hmm. all at once uh one final spoiler warning if you have made it this far into this podcast and you haven't seen this movie yet this is going to be a full spoilers conversation so if you haven't seen it please pause go watch it um i will say before you leave if you haven't left yet that this is the kind of movie that for all the argument about like, oh, theater cinema's dead, blah, blah, blah. This is like a very inventive movie. It it needs your support. So go out and watch it. So, um, Rod, just before you get to it, can I can I lay some like picturesque groundwork here? Because we have a we have a group and then we were just talking um, about some of us trying to watch this movie. Then all of a sudden, Rod out of nowhere says, everyone drop what you're doing and you have to watch this movie. And I've never gotten that from Rod ever. And half the time, whenever we're talking about a movie, Rod will be like, okay, I'll, I'll watch it when I can, which means like on a Sunday morning or something like that, like past the opening weekend. But this yeah. man beats everyone to watch this movie. So I was like, okay, this must be good. So Rod, go take it away. I guess uh, for, those, for those of you that maybe are listening and haven't seen it yet, just like briefly, you know, Everything Everywhere All at Once is a sci-fi comedy action film. It finds uh, main character Evelyn being audited by the IRS, family life kind of falling apart. Um, in the middle of all of that, she discovers that she needs to reach out to parallel versions of herself from the multiverse to help destroy uh Seemingly a villain that is hunting her down, the Jobu Tupaki, which ends up being an alternate version of her daughter, Joy. Um, You know, the movie ends up having to meet what is a beautiful resolution. If you want to read my full thoughts, you can head over to Layered Butter. I did the official Layered Butter review for it. I gave it five out of five. Um, I don't know what else I could say about this movie, except that I think this is a new classic, right? Like this is, to me, something that has managed to, to... 
position itself as a movie that we will talk about for a long, long time. The movie directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheiner, collectively known as Daniels, former music video directors that are now reaching out to the, the big screen, formerly from Swiss Army Man, uh, a movie that I think I, I, I was put onto it by Raf, who talked very highly about it. Um, I enjoyed it. It's zany. It is fun. But I think I think I posted this that, you know, Swiss Army Men walked so everything everywhere all at once could run because I think they really this is this is their home run. I think they I, I'm so impressed by the way that they were able to weave this story and make it land so perfectly. Like there is a moment where it's literally just two rocks on screen and I am like out here getting like emotional. I think like towards the last 30 minutes of this movie, I was like crying, laughing, crying, pausing my crying, crying one more time. Like, wasn't even I, sure if it's laughter or just sadness. Yeah. Know? It's, it, it's just, I think especially um, like there are parts of the story that speak very specifically to people who are children of immigrants who speak very specifically to um, people, uh, people that are from a, 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 a family that maybe don't express everything as clearly, communicate as, as openly as they could. I think it has a lot to say about, you know, children who are queer and their ability of coming out fully. And, you know, like sometimes, uh, you know, like parents are like, I support you. But then like, how far does that support go? Like, you know, what, what where is the ability to be able to, to fully exist in the spot? Like, I think everything from this movie hit perfectly with me i would be happy to hear uh your thoughts on this movie i guess maybe let's start with raf who i know was also a fellow five out of five at least uh, on letterbox and then we can <laughs> go to man. jordan who spoiler alert gave it a half a star out of five no i'm joking he did not he, he <laughs> took i think half a star off is what he ended up taking but 4.5 out you. of five yeah but sorry go ahead raf no i mean i thought uh, i think the biggest thing with this film and i knew it too I knew going into it was going to be good, not because of Rod's hype, but the Daniels are such a creative mind, right? And mm-hmm. and also A twenty four, let's go. But um, um, I, I felt like just from that opening shot when it was lingering on the mirror and it was like a happy family jumping for joy, and then they just click and they're gone. Yeah, shivers, right? Mm-hmm. Shivers. But also the title drop, like maybe fifteen minutes into the movie, and it says part one, buddy, shivers. Right? Mm-hmm. No, but I mean, <laughs> as a general um, film, I thought this film was wildly inventive, creative. It brought, I don't know, it, it brought you to places that I didn't expect it to go. And when it did go to those places, it still subverted my expectation of those scenes. Right? And I knew it would be literally like the title says, it's like everything is happening so fucking fast in this movie, right? It is extremely yeah. fast paced to the point where I'm like, there is so much going on in this two hour film. When is it going to end? Because I feel like my heart is racing the entire time in a good way. Right? I felt really drawn to it. And, um, Michelle Yeoh's performance is stunning, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I was, I, I'm very happy. I, actually, the entire cast, for for all of them, um, uh, it, Rod, please correct me here. K, right? K, K, Kihi Kwan, Kihi Kwan, right? Um, who uh, a lot of people didn't realize or um, may may recognize from Data from the Goonies and uh, Short Round from Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. Uh, but this was his uh, return to acting. I found those two, Michelle and Kay, t- 
to be absolutely stunning. And there are moments in this film where I didn't expect to be emotionally invested in the sense that like, oh my gosh, is there tears for me? Is this, is this like, you know, do I have a heart? Yeah. Like it it just (laughs) felt so strong. And Mm -hmm. with a film that deals with multiverses and there was a lot of ridiculousness in this film, there are moments of just absolute silence and like just lingering shots Right, uh, like close-ups to Kay, close-ups to Michelle, back yeah. and forth, key. Mm. Um, uh, but it's just, I don't know. I, I felt like this hit a lot of notes for me. And I knew it was a five out of five when I woke up the next morning thinking, Still thinking about, about the movie. And then it's all about like, holy crap, what an experience. Right. Mm-hmm. And well, we're going to get into it. We're going to break it down as much as we can. Uh, Jordan, but let's hear what about you? Well, how did you feel about this movie? I, okay. I, I'm definitely not as oh here we um, go boys universally just like over the moon about it. Mm-hmm. But that said, I, I love everything it was doing, and I love the energy of it. And um, it's something that I, I have been thinking about. Um, I I guess I'd almost have to disagree that it's the Daniels home run. I feel like while Swiss Army Man proved that they had like a really interesting voice. I mean, I think just even watching their their music videos that they made prior to Swiss Army Man showed that they, they had a really interesting creative voice. Um, Swiss Army Man showed that they like had a really emotional core that they could put at the center of it too. Mm-hmm. And then this shows that like, okay, not only can they put an interesting emotional core, like they, like they can do a lot. And I just think that there's maybe just one more step and I'm still trying to explore what it, what the movie didn't do for me. Um, and I think it might've just been more of like that. It it tried to do just, just slightly too much and just slightly too much. Um, it's hard to say cause it's a movie that has everything in the kitchen sink in it in like a, in a really fun kind of way. Uh, and I, I hate to be, you know, the go back to the, the length again. Um, but I feel like there was a bit of some pacing issues for me where it feels like it's, I mean, it, it sort of is broken up into chapters and it kind of just is two long chapters and then a bit of a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that first chapter drags a little bit near the end of it. Um, there's a lot of time that we spend uh, with exposition dumps and those exposition dumps are like fun. Um, it, it, it's almost like there's maybe 15 to 20 minutes that I feel like could be cut out and some of it is just establishing and I think I'd have to see it again just to really to like decide where it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I want to get some of those initial criticisms out of the way because I feel like I do want to spend the rest of the time just talking about everything that this did. Yeah. <laughs> everything everywhere, that everything, everywhere all at once did really well. <laughs> um, I think they play the Daniels play with genre in such an interesting way where mm-hmm. something can be, uh, like an interesting, it, it's almost like they are doing what, um, Kung Fu Hustle and uh, what were some of those other ones? Kung um, Pao, like those, Enter the Fist. No, I'm kidding. I will go to that level. Yeah. I mean like Kung Fu <laughs> Hustle kind of did it where it was like, uh, we want to do like over the top, really well sure. done action, but like comedy and have it still matter. Mm. And it, that like that did the comedy and it was fun, but like these guys pull off, uh, doing something that's like, cartoony and over the top 
while still having characters that feel grounded so that when they're having these emotional payoffs with each other, like you care about them, you care about the, the story at the center of it. You care when things go completely off the rails and the, uh, the hot dog fingered universe Buddy. becomes like, it goes from like, Oh, that's hilarious that they're, they're doing something so wacky, uh, to then like, you know, feeling emotional at, um, a song that someone's playing on the, on a piano because they have to use their feet in that universe. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening and you, you, you haven't watched it and you're like, this was confusing. Like stop listening and go watch this movie. Yeah. I promise you'll like, this is one that's an easy recommend movie to everyone because you you'll just be like you're, uh, I mean, I feel like uh, it might be challenging for some people. It's, I, it might be one of those things that's just an age gap kind of thing, right? Sure. Like challenging, like, yeah, my mom is probably going to be like, oh, this movie is weird. I don't <laughs> get it. But I think a lot of people, if, you know, if they've experienced like modern cartoons, if they're fans of like, you know, th- this style of like going far and going out there and not being afraid to be like strange um, while still having like an emotional core that's, uh, really interesting and like that nihilism yep. and that refutation of that nihilism. And uh, it's almost like the different characters provide different. Um, I think that was the most touching part for me is like the different, I don't know. I'm getting too far into my view, but uh, yeah, overall I really liked it and I'm going to keep exploring more about this because um Listen, the, I, this is the venue for that. We're going to have a full-on conversation about this. Maybe, yeah, it, maybe by the time boys. we're done here, you're going to have to go back to your letter box and adjust that, <laughs> that rating. You know what? I don't believe in adjusting reviews. It was a 4 out of 5, a 4.5 out of 5. And if I watch it again, it could be a 5 next time. and it could, Or it could drop down and be a 4. I, I don't see that. But um, something I do wish, uh, the theater I saw it on, and this is like the second movie I've seen in this one movie theater, uh, it's in Guelph, uh, at the Cineplex and, um, it's like the sound is just turned down. It's like the center channel sound is just low where like, you feel like the sound that should be like hitting you right in the face is just like, uh, like, but like the, the rest of the music is loud and everything's loud. It's just like that center channel that you, you know, should be hitting you just isn't. And it's stupid for that, like something to affect, but like, mm-hmm. you know. Oh. Movies are just a presentation of audio and yeah. sound. Um, I, I, I'm learning. I'm learning so much about your audiophile tendencies today, Jordan. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to start us off, kind of talking about the 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 screenwriting itself. Like to me, it's one of the tightest uh, screenplays I have ever like witnessed on screen. Like nothing to me felt like accidental. Like for example, I want to discuss a couple of things. Um, one is the the butt plug award that Jamie Lee Curtis's character Deirdre has. Like first, like it's funny because the IRS is mostly known as just being a pain in the ass, right? So how how funny that the the award that the IRS representative would receive is um is is a butt plug, and then she follows that up with a line about like the amount of bullshit that she's seen following up like for the ass kind of uh conversation but then as if that wasn't enough later on we revisit the butt plug in uh one of the the ways to travel through through the the tendency because you need you needed the characters to do random stuff and so on and so it's kind of like the Chekhov's gun where it's like you thought that it was already used but it's like it has two bullets it's going to be used one more time similar to that is like the the i love you to deirdre which is like yeah it's weird to to uh, have the character of Evelyn say I love you to the IRS person because they're being audited so it's like so difficult plus she is a person who is like 
emotionally unavailable. So that's already a challenge. And when she manages to do that, later on, you find out that both in a, in a parallel universe, Evelyn is a person that has this relationship with, with Deirdre and loves her, which is already, again, a change, a different, a different characteristic for Evelyn. But also Deirdre, we find out, is somebody who is uh, cynical of love in our universe, right? That is somebody who's been left by her ex-husband. And, you know, like the, this idea of telling her that she, I love you and that she is someone that can be loved is already kind of teasing this uh killing them with kindness that Evelyn finds towards the end from, from her, hu- her husband, uh, Waymond, right. That, that kind of teaches her how, how to, to beat the main villain. So I think like the care, or it's like, even in the beginning, like you start off seeing joy staring at the laundry and like the laundromat part of it. It's like, I, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys have ever been to a laundromat for a while. My washing machine had broke down. So I ended up going, I remember there was a sign there where it just said laundry, it's an endless cycle and it's a joke, but it's also <laughs> true, right? And it's like the circle, the 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 the, the bagel uh, motif. Yeah, I was going to bring up the bagel. It, it being a circular shape, like, I mean, a circle has no start or ending. It's just like a cycle. And so mm-hmm. you can kind of already feel the, the meaninglessness, like the nihilism that that is conveyed later. But at the same time, like a circle is like fully connected, right? So it's just like so brilliant in terms of these little motifs that that it hides throughout the thing. Like to me, that really stood out. It's it's been a while. Like I I feel like I've mentioned this before. Like to the way that I look at movies ends up being a lot more in terms of the writing than I would say maybe even the directing. I think the acting is also really important to me, but like the the writing is where I always end up paying the most attention of like why people made those specific choices. Or, or again, like I, I, I will let you guys speak in a little bit. Just I love this movie so much. Like in the <laughs> beginning, you know, like there's this whole sense of like Evelyn is embarrassed of uh, Becca being Joy's girlfriend, right? And so like when the grandparent comes down, but if you notice that the first thing that that um, that when Becca and Joy are kind of having their first initial moment, they're kind of holding hands. And the first thing Joy does is cover up like Becca's tattoos um, because she, in the same sense, is also the same way as her mother, right? Like you kind of inherit this this um, damage that you keep on carrying forward where it's like you want to be this perfect person for your parents and you don't care who you hurt just to be that person, right? And Evelyn mm-hmm. does that to her daughter. Joy does that to Becca and, and so on. And it's just like, it's so carefully crafted. Like, I was so, so impressed by that part. Buddy, like, I don't know how I could follow up because your passion is immeasurable. I mean, (laughs) just maybe because half the time, whenever, like, uh, we talk about the Batman or any other film, you're spewing the hot takes. But this time, it's a nice, loving take. So, I appreciate (laughs) it. No, but the screenplay is great, man. I, I, I feel like you're right. A lot of the... The emotional beats and the moments were so craft, uh, like uh, masterfully crafted, right? And mm-hmm. they set up for the payoffs, right? For yeah. later on, uh, like the butt plug. Um, what was I gonna say? I think there's also a musical uh, uh, reprise. I'm not sure. I, I need you watch it twice, but I mean, yeah, Claire de Lune plays uh, a couple, couple times, times, and it's right? like almost disjoint. Like it, it's very interesting how they use music because. It's like you expect the music to go a certain way, especially because some of the some of the songs are familiar. But it's like in in the hot dog like two thousand one Space Odyssey kind of reference. Yeah. Like the the soundtrack is obviously like fucked up because it's like a fucked up thing that we're seeing. And then like Claire Lune kind of like jumps in and out in the same way that Evelyn kind of jumps in and out uh, of realities. And it's like again, it's just like that care, that attention to detail that that really stood out. To me. Is this the second movie of this year where a character has sung? Um 
Is it? Oh, Ave Maria. Ave Maria. Ave Maria. Yeah. Yeah. Because we had uh, we had the Riddler. Paul Dano. Paul Dano. Paul Dano. Uh, uh, big Ave Maria Ritz. year. Uh, <laughs> um, just something I got to point out because I was uh, just noticing this, staring at the IMDb for this, is that the characters' names are so much funnier than I realized. Uh, first off, I didn't realize that Wayman's name was Wayman. Waymond. Me too. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not Raymond. It's Waymond Wang. Yeah. yeah. Um, Deirdre's or Deirdre. Deirdre? Deirdre? Deirdre or Deirdre or something. Yeah, Deirdre Bobirdre is just a hilarious last name. Um, And yeah, I guess those are just the main ones. Uh, Gong Gong, who is the the grandfather, Mm -hmm. uh, played by James Hong. And that was fun to see him. Are you guys... um, I I only know him from... Well, there's one major role. Uh, I guess there's... um, there's those two, but so we've talked about this before that both of you are fairly blind when it comes to um, the works of, uh, oh, I'm oh, John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so James Wong plays the primary antagonist in Big Trouble in Little China. Um, and he plays, uh, he's kind of like a, a gangster, I, I guess, you'd, a supernatural sort of gangster. Um, but in that movie, he's prematurely aged so he plays like a very old man um so i've always had it in my mind that like oh james wong is just like he's been elderly since the 80s uh but he was just in old age makeup in that uh but he has been he's 93 for, yeah he's been working for 70 years at least from what yeah, i can so see he, he it's fair to say that he was old in the 80s he's just now even older uh but yeah this this movie is it's so much. There's so much happening. Um, I would love to read the script. Uh, yeah, I was just it looking. It would be a movie to like. I want to like watch it and read what they had on paper. Mm-hmm. And these these directors seem like the most likable guys. Like all the uh, behind the scenes stuff I've done. Um, I think Wired did a really good scene with them and uh, Michelle Yeoh, um, where the three of them broke down. Yeah, like it was one major scene that happens. And they break down like all of the different behind the scenes, like the choices and um, all their interesting, like money saving things. Like this was only a $25 million movie. And I bet a lot of that went to the cast. And it seems like they're just um, like such cre- yeah, like MacGyvering and creative uses mm-hmm. of money where like it's not that the end result looks uh, quote unquote like spotless. Like it's not like a Christopher Nolan level like, oh, it has to look um, completely realistic. Cause that's not what they're going for. Mm-hmm. They're going for fun. So when, when like a character's head is like replaced and with confetti, it's not some like complicated effect. It's just straight up like swapping things in and out. The raccoon is like animatronic and that's hilarious. And that's tons of fun. And like all of these things are just like, uh, just, I think like that's what we're kind of talking about. No, like where they know how to do like genre perfectly. Mm. Um, I don't know. It seems like the two of them, the Daniels, Dan, Daniel Kwan and Daniel, um, Schreinert, Schreinert. Uh, I, I mean, I hope their directing partnership continues because they have such an interesting and unique, like point of view on things. And yeah, I just can't, I feel like after this, it, like if, if this progression and hopefully this continues to do really well. Um, and I think it's, they're probably just going to be, like whether or not it, it makes quote unquote money at the box office. I feel like it's going to be a, a cult film. Um, maybe not even a cult film. It's probably too big for it to be a actual cult film. I feel like this, but film I can't is, wait to see. Yeah. I, I feel like this film, 
I don't know. I wonder how it would do for more general audiences, let's say for award season. Like the moment the movie ended, I was like, okay, this is going to get an original screenplay nomination. I don't know if it will. I feel like it might be risky, but I feel like it's so original. Like, I think the last time I remember watching a film where I'm like, bruh, this better get a nomination. It was Inception because it was so fucking original. You just, you just don't think of this stuff, you know? And especially something like this. I, okay, Rod, I, I feel you already like cringing at the fact that I compared Inception to uh, everything everywhere all at once. But I mean, I feel like the, the levels of originality in each and every multiverse moment for uh, Evelyn was like when she was a chef, right? Uh, that I did not expect. And there, there was multiple of them, right? Each and every time. And I, I felt like it, it brought to life a, a different element of her character and who she is at heart and exposed it in a you know in a very unique way each each time um and it's just batshit crazy i mean the fucking everything bagel bruh yeah i mean (laughs) that's one thing that i would add like if you were apprehensive i mean at this point also like how much of the movie we spoiled if you haven't seen it but if you were apprehensive like if, if i could give you like one thing i would say you're gonna have fun like that is like the main takeaway for me from this movie like if you want to overanalyze it and see how good or whatever that can be uh, seen somewhat independently, but it's like, mm-hmm. maybe I guess you're not particularly sensitive. Like, I think the minute that you see Joy just like beating a cop with like two very realistic oh, penis shaped yes. uh, <laughs> dildos, like, you know what you're kind of in for in terms of like humor and action. So, I don't know. I, I, think, I had yeah, a great time. That's the part that's when I talked about it being easy to recommend. It's, it's not easy to recommend for necessarily everyone, mm. but. For certain generations, it, it's almost like everyone's going to get something out of this. Like if you're yeah. someone who like, you know, oh, I don't like fancy movies or well-written dialogue. I just want to get like cool, special, like cool fights. It's like, well, there's really cool choreography that's like shot really well. If you just want to get like sci-fi concepts that you've never thought about before, you're going to get that. If you want to get like com- comedic beats that you've never like, like, then that's the range of this movie where it has jokes that feels like. Like this joke could be done in like a, a scary movie esque like bad parody of something, yeah. but it's they like they managed to pull it off and mm-hmm. they managed to like to have like rocks with googly eyes. That's like starts off being like oh this is funny because you're like it's quiet and it's silent and we're watching and we're just reading subtitles and then oh it's like hitting me with like. Uh, like a really interesting, like making me sit and like feel something and giving me nothing other than just words on a screen. And like, it's forcing you to like sit with it and just in a big empty theater, that's quiet. And everyone like, you know, you know, when there's moments in theaters where it's completely quiet and everyone stops like munching on popcorn and like, it's just, I don't know. Yeah. 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 I saw a quote by Daniel Kwan and he was talking about how, he wants people to see this movie in theaters and not because of like the video, like the theater size or like the video quality or like how crisp, like, I don't know, film looks or even the audio, but just like the experience of seeing this in a shared setting, right? It, yeah, and I shared think specifically space. to that yeah. point, like the rock scene when it's like dead silent, Bruh, it's dead silent if you're in a, a movie theater, a packed movie theater, right? Like if you're mm-hmm. watching that at home, 
it's not that silent. It's just like you're quiet. You know what I mean? Like it, it, yeah. it feels much more silent when you are in a room full. It's of a people, shared and then silence. That becomes so much right. more, so much more effective, right? So I think that definitely stood out to me. Um, another thing, I, Raph, you mentioned briefly that uh, you you could see it getting a screenplay nom. I'm all in. I am all fucking in. Like I need this movie to be nominated for best picture. I need Michelle Yao. I need um, he. Uh, to be nominated for best actor, uh, I need ev- I need everything everywhere all at once for these people. I think uh, I mentioned this in my review. You can go out and read it in on, in layered butter. I think this is going to be a, a true test to um, this is going to be a true test to major award shows um, if they are incapable of recognizing good work when it comes out too far ahead of the ceremony. Then really, what what is their value? Right? Like I think that value is going to be put into serious question if it doesn't have the ability to be like. Yeah, the, the, it, like if you say the the eligibility period is from February to I don't know January, but then you really only uh, include movies that came out in like the last two months, then you need to restructure that show, right? So I, I'm very curious. I think my sense is that maybe A24 thought this was a good movie, did not realize how well of a reception it was going to get, and now they probably regret a little bit that they put it out uh, like. Now, when they have like, isn't the Northman also a twenty four? Like, yeah. isn't that coming out next week? So, yeah, maybe they they, they might uh, live to regret that one. But I do think that that's something that award shows are going to have to tackle with because I do mm-hmm. think again it deserves to be, and especially the I, I think Michelle Yeoh's work needs to to be recognized. Um, I did re- I did find out since uh, that she did not sing in that point, and I was like so certain that she did, and I was like this woman has like fought, acted, cried, laughed, made me laugh. And also sang, and I was like, "That's that's impressive." Uh, she did not sing. There's there's somebody that is credited as the voice of of that pair, uh, alternate of of Michelle Michelle's character Evelyn. But I do think, like, what about the acting? How did you guys feel? Like, I thought there there is. Uh, I think Michelle is like. I, I will say this. Uh, I have loved her since since always, but Crouching really Tiger. since I saw Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Like that movie is a fucking poem. You know, like that is like it, it is breathtaking it is so romantic it is action-packed it is beautiful um that used to be my favorite michelle movie and now i think it's going to be this one but it's like so i knew i would love her 100 and i did no disappointment there but i will say that like seeing um you know like he he kwan again after like indiana jones and i think there 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 is a moment when he says something like even though you've broken my heart again i wanted to say yeah, another man. life i would have been happy to do laundry and taxes with you like mm. what a delivery! Killer. Like what? Killer. What a to think that this man has not acted in front for of the screen years. for like thirty years, and then can just come just out drop and drop that bomb. Ooh. Yeah, I think I I saw in an interview that he got out of acting because as a teenager he found that there's just there's not a lot of roles, roles for, yeah. for for Asian men, um, and it's it's great that he's able to come back into Hollywood and he's uh, like what a what a comeback performance. Um, I think that that line about like um, doing laundry and like you were talking about the like it's it's just so funny that such a wild creative like film like its major scenes are set around a laundromat which like you talked about the joke of like never ending mm. laundry and then taxes being the other thing that's just like <laughs> yeah. cyclical boring like um, and that that's just such an interesting like I mean I yeah. think it's going to be a huge year for. For Michelle, especially because she, she's an I didn't avatar. Know this. We're she's not an avatar acknowledging too. it. We are Bro. not acknowleding Bro. that. Um, <laughs> this is all that I saw matters. Someone, Come on now. So I, I mean, this is an interesting point of view, but just like this seems like it's going to be a big year in movies. 
um, bigger than last year. And I know a lot of people talked about last year being a bit of a disappointing year. There are so many like huge directors and I mean, huge as in like, you know, people who are into movies being into, into them who have movies coming out this year still like, and this is after like, we've already had a Batman movie. We've already had like, uh, some like, like a really good animated movie come out with, um, turning red. <laughs> like, have you guys seen this? The list of like, uh, directors with movies coming out. Oh, there's a ton. Um, there's a ton. There's Cronenberg. There's Lynch. Uh, apparently Spielberg. not. He came out to say that he has no movie coming out at Cannes. I mean, it's okay, but <laughs> uh, that is too bad. But, um, I wanted to jump on something very quick because I know we were talking about. Oh my gosh, K key 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 key. So. Uh, nearing the end of the movie, there's a lot of um, flashbacks where Evelyn has this emotional moment with each of her family members, right? Mm-hmm. So her dad, her her daughter, right? But Key and and Evelyn's or Key and Michelle's flashback moment or that montage moment where it's kind of like there's this alternate universe that's clearly inspired by War Kong Y in in the mood for yeah. love, right? In the mood for love. Yeah, like 100%, even the class, everything about it. Anyway, um, that entire sequence and that emotional moment and height was probably the most emotional for me because I felt like you know, just the lines that Key delivers and and the emotional weight behind it. And he portrays Wayman as such an innocent guy, right? He's so I don't know, like he he he's always has Michelle's back or Evelyn's back and you could tell that he's he's worked so hard and I know in the flashbacks you see him like jumping into the taxi with with uh, Evelyn and then they go off leaving the family to go to the states and whatnot. And and yeah. at the beginning of the movie, she um her her entire sequence where she thinks about her as a movie star and and the life that she had without Waymond it hits harder when he you know when they have this uh, reconciliation at the end right and yeah i don't know i'm really really happy that you know short round and data became wayne and wang <laughs> right and i i'm i'm yeah. really excited to see uh, his return to acting and um you know uh, where it goes because i'm really happy i, I in a way and I don't, I don't mean this to sound like kind of, you know, degrading to Key, but I, I was reading that the original uh, script here had the Daniels thinking Jackie Chan for the role, right? Uh, as as mm-hmm. Evelyn, right? And then they changed the script and they had Michelle Yeoh in it and too. And I'm really happy they settled with Key, right? And uh, I think yeah, a lot I, of it- I think too, if you haven't seen this movie yet, then there's no way to describe how Key voice is basically the same voice it's as literally Mr. the Jones, same it's unreal except like and so i think like part of the reason why you're rooting for this man is because it carries like this innocence and sweetness that mm-hmm. like i don't think the jackie chance voice would carry right i i don't know like i i think like as soon as you hear this man's voice and he's like so supportive and it's it's just like this 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 soft edge that like other people do not have so the original I think the original plan was that like Jackie Chan would have been in like the role of Evelyn. I think so. so it would right. have been centered around him. And then Michelle would have been his wife who would have. And then there are those parts in the movie where you're like, Oh, I guess that is interesting that like, you know, in the, the movie as it is, um, he is the one who has filed for divorce. And then we find out that like, he doesn't 
actually want to divorce, but he, he yeah. needs like his, he feels like his relationship needs something. Um, so they can then talk there about it and get better. That, like, right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And that's an interesting trope because you feel like, you know, it's, you can understand why it might've been written originally as like, Oh, his wife is frustrated and she's filed for divorce. And then even just the idea of like the main character being, um, bad at everything and like not like being very forgetful. And I read that, uh, or sorry, I, just, I always say the word red. I found out that in the original version of the script, she was going to have the main character was going to have undiagnosed ADHD. And mm-hmm. then while exploring that as a concept, one of the directors, I forget which one, apologies. It was him like realized that he had ADHD and that was like part of his discovery process of it. Um, and there's just like really interesting things. And I think those twists are what made the movie what it is. Um, even we haven't really talked about her too much, but, um, Stephanie, Stephanie Sue, uh, as joy with joy Wang. Uh, she is so good. Um, I I, I already really liked her in marvelous Miss Maisel. Um, but like she has such a good voice and a good delivery, like every, like the way that she's threatening, but also kind of funny and just very dry. And like, she gets to wear like an incredible set of costumes Crazy in outfits. this movie. Yeah, um, Elvis costume with a pig. Perfection. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think too, like I would say, like if you look at Stephanie's work when she is playing like the the Jobu Tupaki at, at like the Elvis scene, like the beginning of that one, and then you compare it to her kind of having the breakdown when she's like running towards the car, and then even a little bit like after when she's already kind of reconciled with her mom and she's just saying like this is so awkward kind of thing. Like, all three of those are, like, such distinct work, but so realistic in a way. And I just think, like, yeah, I, I can't say enough about even the acting in in, in this role. Like, uh, you know, even Jenny Slate is funny. And this like, Harry Shum Jr. who plays like, the chef oh, that yeah. is being manipulated by, uh, what is it, Rakakui? I Rakakui. Think is it <laughs> that was wild. Yeah, what, that, <laughs> I thought that Jamie Lee Curtis really brought it, too, with, like, yes. her energy. Oh, where you're like, sure. oh, this is, I mean, at first, I not knowing the movie. And I had, this was a good one that... um if you're still listening and you haven't watched it, first off, still go watch it because we've barely spoiled anything because the plot details aren't really the spoiler parts of mm-hmm. this. It's just how it's all done. Um, I was glad that I didn't rewatch the trailer before it because I feel like it would have would have messed things up. And yeah, just seeing Jamie Lee Curtis and thinking like, oh, this is a fun little cameo. And then being yep. like, 100%. No, like she is full she's six build yeah. in the movie and she's like a full character and she keeps coming back. And like the relationship keeps getting more complex and like, yeah, yeah, we have to definitely. There, uh, uh, no. one other thing that I wanted to to talk about. I mean, like we can talk about more, but just like another point that I wanted to bring up, you guys. I don't know where you're going to take the conversation. It's just kind of about the, the referential work that they they pull throughout this movie. Like we mentioned earlier, there's like very clear reference to 2001: A Space Odyssey. The reference Ratatouille to some extent, stuff like The Matrix, X Men. Yep. I think even the ability to talk about like the the multiverse w- with some ease and be able to deliver a movie that's just about that has been a lot of legwork that stuff like the DC universe, like the the MCU have put in before, right, to get their audience a little bit acclimated to that. Like my sense was, and this is kind of like reading into uh, it may be like a, a cycle that I'm feeding into myself, but it seems to me that it's like when we're having this conversation about like is cinema dying, is cinema dead. There's a kind of like an old guard that are like strong gatekeepers of like this traditional form, which is kind of what I talked about in, in my review on the website. And like they're, they're saying like, this is a good movie. This is a blockbuster. This is film. This is a, uh, move, a movie, right? 
And I think to me, the Daniels are like much less interested in that that distinction and more like, okay, we've all seen these movies. This is kind of like uh, something that like is a shared learning that we have. Like, so how do we capitalize on that and then are able to tell a story that that uses all those building blocks, right? And so that is something that I think I would like to see more of. Like, I'm less interested in what Martin, Martin Scorsese thinks about MCU movies than uh, than I am seeing about like how a director can look at like where our audience is in our current yeah. landscape, like today. And like, what stories can we tell that are effective for the audience there? Because I do see that it's kind of like a dividing line right now that we're having where it's like nobody like mainstream audiences are not watching the the movies that are getting awarded at, at the Oscars. And critics do not love the movies that are out there breaking like the box office records. Right. Mm-hmm. And we need to figure that out soon because like the cinema, the economics of like the cinema industry right now is not doing great. So I think like that, like movies like this that are kind of like, you know, less interested in like making that distinction, I think are where we need to go. And, you know, kind of it's, it's like these movies have taught us like the basic words and now movies like this one are kind of teaching us sentences. And I think like that's the way to do it as opposed to being like, okay, you're only reading single word movies. Like I'm in paragraphs, so, you know, like in et cetera. Like that's kind of how I feel about that. I don't know if that's anything that you guys sense during the movie or if any of that speaks to you. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a really good way to put it of like that we're getting a new generation's voice and a new like I mean and also just the idea that like take you know with technology and filmmaking where it is we don't need a 150 million dollar movie mm-hmm. like we don't need insane over the top um and I'd love to like this is one that I think um it's it's been a while since I felt this way, but like I want to see the behind the scenes for the whole thing. I want to get the director's commentary because it feels like they did so much with such a small budget. It's not like oh, this is a you know ten million dollar movie and it looks like a ten million dollar movie. Like mm-hmm. like no, like this movie has a huge like obviously the sets are a little bit limited. The characters are maybe reused quite a bit, but like the imagination just shows that like um, and I hope demonstrates that people don't care like. Sure, could you redo this movie and spend another hundred million and all the special effects are quote unquote better? But then mm-hmm. I feel like it would rob a lot of them of like their charm and like like they look good for that reason. It's kind of like TikTok where um it like using the cheap, stupid effect to like make a comedy, like a make a comedic thing more funny or make something more dramatic. Like it it's just showing that like modern audiences don't need to be a hundred percent convinced that something is artificial because they know it's not real. Mm-hmm. Like they, they're okay with that and they're buying into that. And I think like we said, a, a lot of things about this movie, like playing with something being very silly and like references. Um, I know you were just asking about like other um, references that we noticed. Uh, I, and I'd have to hear it again, but during uh, the big brawl of the climax of the movie, um, at some point a character gets, um, I think they're like uppercut, but in any, in any point they get attacked in a way that oh, like launches them upwards. Yeah, and I yeah. swear they use the, uh, super smash brothers. Yeah. Smash like, Bros. yeah. That and like, that's so fun. And like, that's so like, y- yeah. you know I mean? It's, it's not, it didn't call attention to it. It wasn't in like a Ryan Reynolds, like, no, it was uh, very like, song gong when he's like 
traveling super fast. He has like the back to the future type of like machinery on his wheelchair. And then later on, yeah, he has like yeah. the alien kind of like exoskeleton, right? It's just like truly, I think like a, a love letter to a bunch of like sci-fi mm-hmm. movies that have come before it. Um, another thing I, I think that you, I wanted to touch briefly, you mentioned that these are kind of like a new generation. I think Raph and I a while back had this conversation about uh, TikTok and what it can mean for cinema. And I think like the immediate cynical cynical take is like, you know, TikTok, you know, fuck the young <laughs> what people. The hell? Yeah. But it's like, I, I, I think that, you know, the Daniels that were kind of a product of like YouTube and Vimeo starting out. And that's kind of where they they started off and have then been able to like leverage. Like the, I, I saw an interview where they talked about like the martial arts choreography was another YouTuber that they found that was like, oh, these guys are amazing. And apparently they had like no actual training. They were just like really big fans of like martial arts movies. And they were like choreographing things that were similar both in like skill, but also humor that kind of fit into their movie. Like I, I'd about love how- to learn more about that. I, when I recommended my this movie to some of my friends, one of them said, oh yeah, I've heard about this because I follow the people who did all the action choreography on Instagram and they've been talking about it. And like, yeah, that's yeah. so cool. And I think it's just showing that like these directors pulling in their The special effects too. Like they, mm-hmm. they said that they couldn't find like some, some way to fit into like the machinery that's already there. So they pulled, I think like seven people that like did all their special effects for, for this movie, just from, from their community of like YouTubers. And so I think I'm very, I've always been like bullish about like the prospects in, in that TikTok, something like TikTok is generating for us. And I think we're starting to see already like what YouTube did. Like, I, I think like Bo Burnham is, is a product of that. I think the Daniels mm-hmm. are, are a product of this. So I think that also is something that's, very very exciting do you think rod that the daniels can top this film here's the thing I don't, I don't know that they will top this in my heart but i think that they've proven with their last two movies that they have uh, a grasp like a gorilla grip on their ability to like mix zany humor with like emotional beats and so i think they will make more good movies in their future i don't know if i will feel as connected like i, I think specifically like there's parts in this movie where um you know evelyn is talking to her daughter about like you should be kind of grateful that I'm such like an open parent that that I don't care that you have a girlfriend, but it's like, it's not just that, right? It's like asking like, okay, what, like, I want to learn more about your queer relationship or there's like parts of like, I mean, I've talked about this before, like I've dealt with depression in the past. And so there's times when uh, Joy is speaking um, about like how nothing matters, you know, like it's great that you found like, um, you know, your purpose to her mom, but like she struggles to find uh, that she feels like she's always falling short and that like there's in every etc like that is like almost verbatim stuff that I've thought in in my head so you know I, I've compared movies uh, before to Slumdog Millionaire where it kind of depends like it's like what you bring like your life story is what makes your experience different so I, I think I've talked about this in the MCU that it's like me watching a Marvel movie is different than anybody else because I like you know you can see in the background of my video like this full bookcase of comic books i've been reading comic books for like 30 ish years of my 35 total you know what i mean like i've been reading them since i've been a child so it's i i don't i don't know that any other movie that they make will speak directly to me like this one did but i think that they've proven themselves that they are incredibly capable of making great great yeah uh heartedly agree um and the one last thing that i know we already kind of touched upon it but i i would regret not talking about probably the most impactful line of the movie for me, which is um, when uh, Wayman's character sort of reveals that like 
he's not naive. He, it's not that he's blind to the nihilism of the world. His happy-go-lucky, positive, um, like response to it, like, is a direct. It, it's his way of dealing with it. You know, like that. Some people respond to the the fact that the, we live in a godless, <laughs> uncaring world by like being angry or by being like lashing out at others and he just reacts to it by saying like, okay, well then all I've got is like, it is kindness to just give people or, the benefit of the doubt to be kindness. And like, I forget mm-hmm. the exact line that he has. I, think but like, I, I have it here. It's uh, I wrote it down. You think because I'm kind that it means I'm naive and maybe I am, but it's strateg- it's strategic and necessary. This is how I, right? That's his mm-hmm. weapon. Right. And I think that's so powerful. Wayman's the best. Yeah. Wayman's the best. Uh, great character. And like, just a great e- ethos. And like, it, what a great, like what a fun, um, movie to have uh like a positive parental figure um and i feel like he was actually given so much to do like an incredible amount to do um and like if i think back to uh, you know turning red it was a great movie and this isn't really a critique of it but i think the dad character in that is um a little bit absent and it's a joke in the movie that he's like well-meaning and he's there but he's just sort of like a oh i don't know what to do with my daughter like like and that's the sort of joke in it, and that's very realistic, and I and I get that, but like, it it's really nice to see a movie that like, like has a woman at its center and her relationship with her daughter, but like her relationship with her husband, and like they really are, um, a trio in that sense, and they yeah. each have like a, an interesting dynamic, and like, yeah, I, I don't know, uh, yeah, I I, I still don't I, I still I, don't I, think the execution of the movie was perfect, but like I don't know how to say this that like it's a four out of five that like, I just want to keep exploring and like doing more of. And, um, I am like very excited for, for whatever they do next. I like that in the, the, I, I said that maybe you would bump it up to a five, but you brought it down to a four is really what happened. I know. The, <laughs> That's what I heard. The transcourse of this conversation. Did I, sorry, four, it's a 4.5 out of five, <laughs> just to be clear. It's a strong, it's a, uh, it's a heavy 4.5 out of 5. Yeah, I saw a tweet, somebody saying that it's like the way that like the five main characters are balanced in this movie made him like rethink about how bad other movies are at giving their characters Screen time or even, exactly, yeah, mm-hmm. stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Even the grandfather, right? I thought he would just be in the background half the time. Buddy, he had some great moments, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, man, this, okay, let's, uh, 820, uh, sorry, not 824, the Daniels, we got a powerhouse and we got to push this script and, and campaign it for best uh, original screenplay, but maybe it's just me and Rod's job, I don't know. Jordan? Uh, well, I would just like to remind you that the Oscars are meaningless and not a very good representation exactly, of what uh, movies actually go. deserve to be celebrated, so That's when, only true when it's movies that I don't like. When it's a movie that I like, I stand, <laughs> I take the opposite stance. But you're just going to be so heartbroken when it gets no I know you know I, like when it's not when I, it's I snubbed, don't but. care in the sense that it's like I just think that it is like a currency in Hollywood like for da- the Daniels to get more work for Michelle Yao to get more work for yeah. Stephanie Sue to get more work for Key to get more work like it's dependent on them getting the, you know what I mean like I feel like that kind of matters and so in that sense I care that I hope that they do get recognized for that uh, guys, I, I, one last question that I have for you. You can go as long as you want. What are some of your favorite movements from this movie? Um, I'm going to go first. I may be stealing, I think, like the one of one of the best ones. But I think like the minute that you realize like uh, that one of Evelyn and one of these guys are fighting and they both hit like their kind of device at the same time and they both pop out 
And then they're like, oh, we need to get back in. And then the guy like looks at the butt plug award and like you immediately know what's happening. And it like kind of builds up to them, him really trying. And then when you are like convinced that he may or may not get it, you just see the other security the other guard guy jumping jump like a fucking wrestler <laughs> all the way across frog, and just like frog style too Super like. Mario uh, <laughs> ground pounding his way onto the butt plug is, I think, like a grandiose moment in cinema. Yeah, man, that was super memorable. And, you know, I want to bring this up, too, just because I didn't get a chance earlier. So I watched it on a Saturday night, um, and it was a relatively full theater. But there was a group of maybe 10 teeny boppers. And when I mean teeny boppers, I'm talking about, like, um, high school age kids who clearly snuck into the theater. And they finished whatever movie, probably Batman, and they, and they wanted to watch another one. They came in at the beginning of the movie, and they stayed <laughs> which which is a commitment because I, I at yeah. one point I thought they would run out and be like what the fuck is this but they stay the entire time so kudos to them but uh, my favorite moment in this film I, I mentioned it before is that emotional high where I think it's the final monologue or the final it's a conversation between Kay and um, uh, Michelle mm, damn buddy um, uh, and it's like a montage of their relationship but I thought that sequence was the most emotional for me and it's the most memorable um, so that was and of course this is nice the rock scene where it's just silent and the big bold letters that comes up. This is nice. I don't know, man. It's these little moments that really got me. And, and those are some of my favorite parts. What about you, Jordan? Do you have any, any other moment that we haven't mentioned or want to echo some that no, we did? No, I mean, I think the top one is still the, the quote from, from the dad, but uh, I did really like the, the, the fake out ending um, just because that's, I don't know. Maybe just I'm a sucker for those, uh, you know, roll the credits type things that are fun. Um, but if if I can't say that, because I mean, that's a, that's a fun moment, like a fake out ending. But like there was the Rakakuni joke and that was like, oh, that's very funny. But yeah, then very immigrant then, parent, which could have been enough. Yeah. Like, oh, forgets the name. And you're like, oh, OK, yeah. But then the the payoff that like, no, she's tapped into a universe where there's an actual like rac- raccoon in a kitchen, like, you know, just playing out that whole joke. Um, but then actually, yeah, just doing that whole scene and then it like taking it to the point where you become like, Oh, I actually really care about this person getting back their raccoon in a cage. And then she's like, she's controlling it. Like, it's just, uh-huh. it's just great. Like the absurdity that they take it to. And that like, you couldn't, you couldn't describe that without just sounding yeah. like this sounds like the worst SNL sketch I've ever heard of. Yeah. Um, and in other hands, it might have been. But. I think I think that scene that you're talking about encompasses the movie, and that is so beautifully absurd, right? Like it, it is it it is ridiculous, but it's so effective. Mm-hmm. Guys, I think that's where we will uh, call it for for this week and our our long conversation of everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, if you're listening to this and you have not realized that I absolutely love this movie, then I don't know what you've been doing. Uh, you can find us layered butter. On Instagram at Layered Butter and on Twitter at Layered underscore Butter. You can find me uh, and all social media platforms, really, at Arcocting, R-C-O-K-T-I-N-G. That includes Letterboxd. And like I said, if you want to go to LayeredButter.com, you can see my my full review for this movie. Uh, Raf, where can people find you? That plug, though. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, you can find me at J. Raphael Cordero um, on Instagram. You can find me on Letterboxd at J. Raphael as well. And Jordan, where can people find you? 
you can find me. I'm going to be friendly and open this time. Come follow me. Come find me. You can find me on <laughs> Letterboxd and on Twitter at uh, jsloggett. That's J-S-L-O-G-G-E-T-T. Uh, come follow me for some of my film opinions and come for, fly with me for uh, <laughs> some of my some of my random tweets. You know, the, the two times a year that I actually tweet, you can you can be someone who likes them or engages in that. Well, there you go. Um, hey, let, let's be- end this. Let's end this by saying, so everything, everywhere, all at once. Who is everything? Who is everywhere? <laughs> Between the three of us. No? Is this just- I, I am. I think I would be everything in the sense that I feel like Evelyn at in that point of her time where it's like I'm thinking of literally everything at all times. Um, I would what a say, stupid question. I would say... Uh, <laughs> Raph, you're everywhere because you have like 16 jobs and you're literally everywhere. Oh, that's and true. I'm everywhere. Jordan, you are all at once because you are a Zen person and you have a Zen. I love it. There you go. I thought you were going to ask which one of us, like of the trio of the family in the movie, do we have a corresponding? I guess I'll call um, the dad character just for uh, happy-go-lucky optimism. I'll be the, the Jobu Tupaki. <laughs> You're totally Jobu Tupac. <laughs> yeah. You're a Raph, you're Deirdre. You're Deirdre with the hot dog fingers is who you are. 100%. Playing oh, the piano man. with your feet. Guys, that's going to be it for, for us this week. Join us next week. We're going to have a, a magical episode. I promise you that. Wow. Bye. All right. Bye. <laughs>